Hey everybody, welcome back to the Creative Hack Podcast. My name is Richard, and it is my goal to help you make a living in a life as a creative professional. Doesn't matter if you are new to this or you've been doing it for a second. We all have a lot to learn in terms of how we can improve our businesses and be more creative and live the dream that we've always wanted. On this episode of the Creative Hack Podcast, we are featuring a cinematographer and photographer here in Seattle by the name of Dylan Priest. And I recently had the opportunity to connect with him and learn more about how he has established himself here in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. Dylan is not originally from Seattle. Dylan is from Kansas City, Missouri, and he moved to Seattle at what seemed to be the height of the recession. He moved in, I believe, 2009, And he has been able, over the course of 10 years, 10 long years, to really establish himself here in the Seattle market. I think what was interesting about my conversation with him is just learning about the path on which it takes to be successful. We've all heard the story of overnight success, but what I've found is that is a myth. Oftentimes, it's a 10-year overnight success, or maybe even 15 But success is something that doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of meticulous effort and a lot of consistent effort over time. Maybe you'll get lucky, but for the vast majority of us, it takes um, time. Some of the other things that I talked with Dylan about was just how he established himself in this market. Seattle is not a major market like LA, New York, or even now Atlanta. And it was really fascinating to connect with him and hear his thoughts and and perspective on how creatives, whether you just graduated from film school or if you have just entered into a freelance um, situation, how you can grow your career and really establish yourself in a market. These ideas really translate regardless of the size of market you're in. So welcome to the Creative Hack. I'm glad that you're listening. Let's get started. It's taken us like a second to like get this thing off and running, but we're finally here. That's great. You know, getting things set up in a space that's not your own always takes longer, I'm sure. That and like juggling freelance work and just the precarious situation of like, oh yeah, I got booked. I can't do this now. Right. <laughs> it's always those last minute bookings, oh, you know, oh. the night before you're like, oh, uh, I got to work tomorrow. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's weird because like in our world, it's like, oh yeah, that's like, that's just the thing is right. just like, oh yeah, like I got to take this. Sure. sure. And then like me dealing with edit notes that are just, oh yeah, that's, uh, I'm not going to get out of work. No, no. <laughs> this I have to deliver this. Anyways, um, Dylan, thank you so much for just taking time out of your busy day to sit down with me and just talk about your circumstances of like working in film, working in photo. Yeah, yeah. It's, as you know, it's not the easiest path in the world. We should have been bankers. Uh, yeah, or accountants or, you know, gone into web development. Or <laughs> it's not too late, is it? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Anyways, um... Why don't you begin by um, introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, name is Dylan Priest. I'm a photographer and director of photography here in Seattle. I've been doing this since 2005, 2006, after I graduated college. 
I uh, went to SCAD down in Savannah, so Savannah College of Art and Design. I uh, got a BA in photography and then just kind of jumped in um, to the freelance market when I moved back home to Kansas City. Yeah. Working with uh, photographers, commercial photographers there in Kansas City uh, as either a first assistant or at the time uh, kind of doing digital tech work because people were just starting to switch over. Um, into using digital cameras. Like I had a little bit of film work as I had started. Um, when I graduated school, they were like, the incoming freshman class were required to have digital cameras. So Interesting. Film was like what I had learned all the way up through high school and, and college. So when I got into the, into the market and was like, oh, it's a little bit of film, but it's mostly pushing into digital now. Everyone's really starting to make the switch there. So Yeah, and you graduated from SCAD in what, 05? Yeah. So right around the time of the, the big switch in the commercial world um, in the early, you know, mid, early 2000s. So. so SCAD went back to Kansas City where you were then freelancing for American Eagle? No, no, that came much, much later. Uh, I spent, God, four years in Kansas City just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. uh, in photography and and assisting. And then about 2008, you know, when the the whole market tanked uh, with the housing crisis, you know, a lot of of the work I was doing there kind of vanished. And I was feeling, you know, not creatively fulfilled. I didn't. I didn't see a long-term career there for myself. Uh, and I had friends from SCAD that were living in Seattle. So I just kind of took a chance uh, and moved out here to just do something different, try something mm-hmm. new, uh, try to jumpstart the, the creative you know, feelings within me a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and that was 2009. I moved up in 2009. And then just kind of hit the ground running here, assisting, digital teching, and starting Mm -hmm. to shoot my own stuff. Uh, Did that for about a year, and then kind of landed a a really nice freelance gig with um, Amazon's fashion studio. They had started to shoot um, all their on-figure product photography here in Seattle. And I got in with that studio and spent a year and a half, two years doing that, kind of part-time. You know, it was couple times a couple weeks a month and then was able to fill in doing Mm -hmm. editorial work on top of that or other assisting work but that working with that studio got me completely out of assisting like once I started doing that it was like oh I have enough money to say no to these assisting jobs I have enough to like work on my own projects build my portfolio have the time to, to push into other things yeah uh, and, and in doing that, it ended up getting me um, a full-time job at American Eagle Outfitters in Pittsburgh. Uh, and that was 2013-ish. Okay. So. And I think it's hard because it's like, I mean, I've seen the Kansas City hats. And mm-hmm. very fond, I can tell you're quite fond of the city and probably the sports <laughs> teams. I think what's hard, and I'm, I'm curious about this, is because it's like coming to a market like Seattle, like... That is a, that is a, Seattle's not a great market for film and video. No, no. It's, it's pretty, it, it has its politics and it's, it's 
I don't know if strain is the right word, but it's not LA or New York, and it is a smaller market. But that's not to say that people can't thrive in this market. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious about like that path of like coming to Seattle, mm-hmm. and then how were you capable of like building that career in a marketplace like this? Like, what was that I process mean, like? Yeah, moving out here, I think the biggest thing that I did was I got super involved um, with all the local like photography groups as as much as I could be ASMP and um, you know any of the Northwest um, film groups and, and digital groups and just making myself as useful as possible to anybody that would let me help them with something yeah. you know working with photographers uh, donating time to ASMP events and uh, you know joining working with the board uh, which is comprised of all photographers and then you know the building a name as like a reliable person mm-hmm. and just showing up to events, creating my own events uh, and just trying to stay in front of people as much as I, I could. And I, and I feel that doing that is a way to do it. A way to build a community in any market is just being available to people yeah. and, and off, you know, not always working for free necessarily, but you know, offering your skills up, at you know either a discount or just help offering to lend a hand whenever possible mm-hmm. whatever that whatever that means and just being like an all-around you know quality person to have on set and then you just kind of work your way up from there you know people start giving you more and more responsibilities it's funny that you mention these things because it's like i mean i think for anybody who's starting out it's it's an uphill battle yeah like it's sure. it's you're just you, I mean, you do a job, and it's like, say you're at, you've been at it for, like, not very long. You do, like, a bunch of jobs, and then it's, like, crickets. Right, right. And it's I think it's hard to, like, it's it's really easy to get caught in the circumstances of, like, am I ever going to work again? Yeah. Is this a foreseeable career path? Or right, should right. Have I decide, decide, should have I decided to do something different? Right. I mean, with anybody, anybody in this industry, regardless of how long you've been doing it, we all hit those those crisis moments in our heads where you're just like, Oh my God, am I ever going to get hired again? I mean, even fantastic photographers I know in the city go through that stuff. And it's, you know, this market or this, you know, industry takes a, you know, certain type of person. You just have to love the highs and not lose it when you hit the lows. Cause it's long, it's a long form game. Like it's just, yeah. Build build the network and you're going to work eventually and you know, you may have a slow period. Yeah. And even if that stretches as long as you're still consistently doing good work and you know, making yourself available to people, it's going to come back around eventually. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the big takeaway is like the eventually eventually. It's not what you want to hear like if if I were if I had just moved back to Seattle and wanted to freelance or I'd just moved or if I just had finished film school, to hear those things, that would be, I'd be like, why? What am I doing with these sort right, of things? Right. But I think, uh, I think it's valuable to understand that things will work out. It's just to your point, it's a long-term game. So, so it's you, like building any career, yeah. really. You know, I mean, you you work in a desk job somewhere, you're gonna have an entry-level crappy job for a few years, and mm-hmm. it's just a matter of working with the office politics or you know meeting the right people or finding the right gig mm-hmm. that suddenly fits and then you're you know you're off and running but you know we we definitely 
have more lows than a typical office job. Yeah. So you moved to Seattle in 2009. You were yeah. done with Kansas City, done a ton of assisting there. Yeah. I mean, what what was that path when you first initially got to the city? I mean, I know you did some work for Dope Magazine, Garden and Gun Magazine, City Arts, Elegant Magazine, amongst others. Were you still primarily photo assisting at that point or were you like what was the process like from like 2009 to like what was it just really establishing yourself in this city i mean you know assisted for as long as i could till i got that amazon gig and then you know jumped out was able to jump off from there because it i feel like having a more regular behind the camera job where i'm not wasn't an assistant and wasn't just running a, a computer or something. It gave me the confidence to, to put myself out there more as a, as a shooter, where mm-hmm. I hadn't really been doing that before. Um, you know, I would show work whenever I could, but it just wasn't. I didn't. I felt at the time I don't. I didn't have the confidence for it, probably. And I'm assuming that that sh- those shooting jobs for um, beyond being a an assistant get help gave you the confidence to go out and show the work. Right, right. And and just meeting more people at the job I was working at. Like I wasn't the only photographer there and we had stylists, we had models. It was it was a great place to like, kind of an incubator really of people in town, like other photographers. And then I had access to equipment, I had access to models that were willing to like work with me uh and do test shoots and uh, stylists that were eager to to prove themselves as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of us were, you know, in our early twenties at the time, mid twenties. Some, you know, nobody was really over thirty yet at that studio. So everyone was kind of in the same place, uh, working towards the same goals. So we were all kind of lifting each other up to to create new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so once once I started putting more work together, it was just a matter of like getting getting my portfolio in front of people and, and trying to do that. One of the early, around that time, one of the, one of the great things I got to do is I met Chase Jarvis and was like going on, he was doing a bunch of photo walks at the yeah. time and like meetups and all sorts of stuff. And he, you know, he was the, one of the big name photographers in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So just getting around his crew of people or the other photographers that would show up. It was this community of people like looking out for each other, like offering things up. And then, you know, he brought me onto one of his early um, web programs to do a portfolio review. And that, that helped me out a lot because I got like some expo, a lot of exposure out of it. And just like a lot of like direction. On so what you were I actually on the show. Yeah. No shit. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I've worked for Chase, and mm-hmm. it's like he, I mean, he's definitely a go-getter, um, and he's very he's very uh, committed to the work that he's doing, and I sure. know his web show because I've also been in that universe, mm-hmm. and uh, he his whole thing is um, building community. Yeah, um, yeah, it's about knowing everyone, and just, the more people you know, the more you're going to get hired. Yeah. And I can't, I can't say that better. I mean, it's that's all. It's it's not what you know. It's it's who you know. So you you did the web show. You're doing the assistant stuff with Chase, and you got a portfolio re- review. And in terms of like that point in your life, being in Seattle, trying to like find, scrape together jobs to pay the bills and stuff mm-hmm. of that nature. I mean, 
what what were some of just the biggest takeaways that you were having in those moments? I mean, how would you really define that that moment of your life, and how would you explain it to somebody who's maybe in a similar situation? Yeah, it was a, it was a growth situation for sure. Um, I don't know. I would somebody in a similar situation is just like keep putting yourself out there and keep producing work that you like. Uh, and sometimes we can, we all lose sight of like, oh, what am I trying to shoot? What am I trying to say? Um, and you, you just have to, have to push through it or, you know, find something else to do for a while and then come back to it. Um, I feel like just constantly producing work is one of the best things you can do, even if it, you're not showing it to anyone. Just be practicing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, getting out to to meetups and events and things like that. I mean, that's how you and I kind of ran into yeah. each other was at events. And, you know, you, you start seeing the same people, this this Seattle's community. And I bet pretty much outside of L.A. and New York, I would say most photo film communities are small. And once you're out there in it, you're going to kind of know everybody pretty soon. The, the Seattle film and video community is tiny yeah I mean there's a lot of us there's a lot of us but like eventually you do start to see a lot of the same people these these circles overlap a lot and I think going back to what you said earlier is it's um especially in a smaller market you have to be a good person oh yeah like there's no room for prima donnas or douchebags or assholes whatever adjective you want to go to la or new york if you want to do that but (laughs) even in even in la or new york i don't think people have the capacity to put up with that as much sure because like i think i mean maybe maybe the 80s and 90s were defined like you can be a, a rock star prima donna and get away with it yeah i think we live in a world now where it's just like like even i I was at a visual effects shop in LA called The Mill, and they right next to the runner's desk, mm-hmm. they had a poster that said "Work hard and be nice." And I, I mean, that I would have to, I would look at that poster every single day, yeah. and I remember one guy saying, "No, it should be work hard or be nice." I'm like, "No, fuck <laughs> that." You gotta you gotta be nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, being a kind human in this industry will do so much to just. Yeah, it, it keeps you keeps people coming back to hire you. It keeps people your crew coming back to work for you. Like, you know, you want to build build a good place for people to be at work. You know, you don't want you don't want people leaving a gig and just feeling terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, that's no fun. Nobody wants to come back the next day yeah, and work you, a twelve eighteen hour day for for somebody that's treating them like dirt. I mean, at some point you're going to go through that, not because of the people per se, but just due to, to due to the circumstances of the production. Yeah, like there was a job I did five, four or five years ago that was one of those, and it was like three sixteen-hour days in a row. Yeah, yeah. And we we were on location, so like those sixteen-hour days also involved three hours of commute. Oh wow to and from location so three hours total Mm -hmm. and it's just like the only saving grace of that production was just the professionalism of the people on set because if if it weren't for the professionalism oh my god yeah it would have just been (laughs) a drag (laughs) for sure so you you're in the city you're meeting people you're trying to plug yourself in and then at some point you started doing the motion thing 
Yeah, that kind of just came out of... Um, I was shooting a lot of concert photography for a long time. What sort of bands? I mean, any band. It didn't matter. <laughs> it was like the best way for me to get out to shows for free. Because I didn't have... You know, when I was starting out here, I didn't have any money other than rent money, food money, and maybe, you know, like promotion money or yeah. whatever. Just just enough to survive and, and keep the dream alive. So, like, going to concerts was, was a extravagance. And so my, you know, way around that was to shoot concerts for the local music blogs. And so I started doing that for oh, blogs and, like, doing, you know, blog posts and and trying to, like, meet bands and do some some more music photography, band photography, and, you know... That got me plugged into the music community here in Seattle, which overlaps with the artistic community yeah. and the film. So it's like the artistic community is one big thing in Seattle. So working with you know artists and musicians is a, is a great way to keep meeting more people. And then like doing by doing that, it opened a door into video because that was when the 5D Mark II came out. Wow! So that's 2000. So that was that, like 2010. Well, the Mark II came. The yeah, the, no, yes, it was 2010 because I was in college when it came out. Mm-hmm. I was I was finishing up at Washington State, and I remember hearing about it and just like people were like, legitimately, oh, like they were game changer. they were losing their shit because they finally yeah. could get the beautiful depth of field that 35 millimeter had because yeah. of the lenses that you could attach on the front. Right. People were absolutely losing it. I remember going to LA and having a number of jobs shooting on it. Yeah, yeah. Like I worked on a, I was an unpaid boom operator on a, <laughs> on a web series and they were shooting on the 5D Mark sure. II. Yeah, I mean, using that camera was, was fantastic and I eventually I got one. And uh, another guy in town, Tyler Kalberg, who I now share my studio space with, um, he was doing video for one of the music blogs that I did stills for. Mm-hmm. So him and I kind of hit it off um, at Dobe, which is a music festival up in Orcas Island. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, and I shot a bunch of stills at it the first year I went, and that opened a huge door to people uh, that I didn't know before. And then uh, Tyler was there shooting music videos in the woods. Uh, and I was really into what he was doing. His aesthetic was great. And, um, you know, I wanted to do more of what he had been doing. And so I started just talking to him all the time and be like, hey, man, you know, anytime you need a hand or whatever, like, help, I'd love to help you out on some stuff. And um, he brought me along on a couple shoots and we, we became pretty good friends. And then eventually we started doing a, a house show series. We th- Cause I had a, oh, no shit. I had a house in Wallingford that I shared with some folks and we would do house shows at this house and have bands come play. And Tyler and I would do a video recording of the, the house concert. And then we'd have another friend do an audio recording. And we started a web series essentially around this house show series. Oh, that's fun. And so that got me doing music video stuff uh, and you know it was I was still so very focused on doing photography so I kind of I didn't dive too headlong into to doing video but it was always something I was interested in but it, not for a few not you know a few years later then it really kind of yeah, took off for me but. but I think it's cool because it's like I mean it's, I, I want to come back to this the thing about you working in the music scene because it's like I've also shot music stuff like I mm-hmm. like 
I've gotten I years ago like I reached out to bands on the Warp tour and was able to yeah grab a pass and barely did anything with the stills. I probably should have taken more advantage of those <laughs> moments. Sure, hindsight's twenty twenty though. But so you're doing all this music stuff, and fast forward to a couple of years, you're you're really just chasing down motion really hard now. Where well brings us full circle to today, where you're in many circumstances, you're billing yourself as a DP now. Yeah, I still do stills from time to time, but more, I've really dove more into video, I think, for long term. Just, I have enjoyed it so much, and I just love the workflow of it, and the storytelling aspect. When I was uh, living in Pittsburgh, I started doing a short web series, called Made in Pittsburgh, where I was just like featuring artists and makers and creating, you know, little short documentaries about people. And that solidified like, oh, I really like telling visual stories, motion with motion capture, instead of just doing this as a a still campaign or something. And I, I still try to combine those two things if I'm, you know, doing a documentary or a mini mm-hmm. A mini series or something. I try to also capture stills from it as well because it just I can keep a small camera in my pocket at all times. Or, yeah, you know, something slung over my shoulder when I'm shooting and just grab stills as I go. Well, I think it's I think it's crazy for right now because it's like we have to we have to be able to deliver both stills in motion. I think that's a uh, I think that's just the reality of the job right now where it's. Um, Sure. I, I think the reality of this, at least the Seattle market, is that you have to kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah. So <laughs> being able to do stills and, and, and shoot video is, is great because then you can market yourself to do all sorts of stuff. And I think it's funny because it's like in terms of my work, that's something that I've been doing a lot more of recently has been just picking up my still camera and running around with that. Yeah. I mean – it's a lot easier to do a photo shoot sure, sure. than it is to like motion. It's like, yes, we're going to go shoot the motion and that takes time to do a shot. Yeah. we gotta. And then we have to go edit said motion yep. and that takes time to do that. Right. The like, yeah, getting stuff. I mean, unless you're, you know, YouTubing the, the production value is, is the barrier to entry. I think for a lot of people to produce content. Because if you want something cinematic that feels like a movie, it takes effort to do those things. Versus, like, you can make a YouTube video look really freaking great these days because the prosumer market has got so many great tools. Yeah. And, like, you can you learn those tools, you're you're making really interesting content for and, sure. But. And that's not to say anything bad about people who are doing YouTube no, stuff. No, I they, mean, they make, I watch it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably watch YouTube more than I watch Netflix mm-hmm. and Hulu and Amazon Prime. Right. Like, let's just be honest. It's probably probably my one of my favorite social platforms just because of the amount of great stuff that people are making. But I think the thing to take away from that is there's a time for punk rock and there's time for a three-piece suit. Sure, sure. It's like, and there's, that's not to say that you can't have both. Like, Led Zeppelin was punk rock at the time, but then you also see chamber orchestras doing renditions of Led Zeppelin 1. Sure. <laughs> So, yeah, it's you can kind of do do a little bit of everything these days. It just depends on, you know, your end goal. So, 
you you got into the motion thing and you started like what what was the path to just really start doing more of that uh was well, it just more of the to, same like stills yeah it was just i kept getting asked more and more to do it um as i was doing more stills it was always like this motion component somebody might want to c- capture or you know i would be shooting stills on a bigger production that was doing motion and i was like well why i, I want to be getting both of these things essentially and um, as I was starting to produce more and more of my own things, I was like, well, I should just dive headlong into this and really focus on it for a while, a few, mm-hmm. couple of years or more, and, and see where, where it takes me because it's really interesting and it's a whole new skill set. And I feel like uh, after I moved back to Seattle after being in Pittsburgh for a couple of years, um, being here was like, doing stills for a bit but more people were asking for motion and then uh, I landed a contracting gig at Microsoft doing shooting and editing like on an internal team there and that was like kind of another boot camp of learning video and cinematography because we were creating these internal video things that had a fairly high production value and we were getting to use red cameras and Alexa minis and FS7s and then I was you know, learning a ton about editing because I was working with a team of editors. I would have to shoot something and then turn turn an edit around in a day or two for yeah. these projects. And uh, doing that for almost two years was just like a heavy learning curve. Like, oh, I actually really enjoy this this level of production. I like handling the cameras or directing the video or or then jumping into the post and doing that as well. So. And it was at Microsoft or was that Run Studios? Uh, that was with Microsoft, not with Run. Okay, because I think it's uh, it's crazy to me because it's just like, like I I had a similar experience at Creative Live where it's just like, it's it's easy to like prescribe how things are done when you're not actually working in production, but then mm-hmm. it's like when you're actually in there on a regular basis you you start to see the speed of which it takes and just like the amount of energy that it takes just to bring a simple internal video yeah. to life it takes a lot of work and a lot of man man women power you know it just it's a team of people like it, even as a one man band situation you're you still need to crew <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to do everything yourself yeah you can but the product you know the value of it goes down slightly but if you have like people around you helping it's you can turn these internal videos into you know commercial level productions even with just a four-person crew well and it doesn't really take much anymore no like it doesn't take much i mean we've seen the technology hit a point where i mean like we were talking a second ago we're seeing youtubers now just do stunning work just like guys going out and doing personal projects on the side i'm just like some of the edits I'm seeing online right now are just, they're bonkers. Yeah. Like, they're just like, how that, how did you think about, like, putting that stuff together? And they're just literally doing it on their, on their couch. Yeah. Which is yeah. just absolutely <laughs> insane to me. Right. It's nuts. So, when, when was the transition from free work to paid work doing video? Like, what was that process like? Hmm. 
gosh, I don't know. It was I started doing you know a little bit of free video st stuff or just you know lower budget video stuff with Tyler. And then when I started working at American Eagle, one of my main goals there was to kind of help them figure out how to do video for the website. So you know, figuring out which cameras to use, how the lighting should look, you know, how we how we can match the video to the still photography we were doing. So I was learning a lot there and getting paid paid to do that. Um, and after I left that, you know, coming back into Seattle, I just kept pushing more stills and then video just kept getting, you know, it, people just kept asking for it. And so mm -hmm. it was... I'd, I'd shoot a couple free things for myself, you know, every once in a while you just do a project for yourself or um, work with another photographer or another director, mm -hmm. offer your service. I've been occasionally I'll offer services up for free just because I, I like the idea behind a project, yeah. um, get to work on something really interesting. And then maybe that leapfrogs it into a, a paying gig. And how important do you think personal work is for you? Because I, uh, I mean, we've, 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 I mean, yes, like all individuals, like being paid is fantastic. I, sure. I like food and I like paying my <laughs> rent, but I think at the same time, like it seems like it's the personal work that it is the stuff that turn it. It seems like the personal work is the stuff that like makes the needle move a little bit for most people. Yeah, for sure. You know, doing your own thing and having your own vision is important, uh, and people are going to hire you for those things for your vision. So you have to create some personal work uh, as much as you can to continue to work as a paid person because <laughs> like, that's why people hire you because they're like oh I like what you're doing or I like your sense of style your your vision behind projects I want you to do that for me or you know mm -hmm. bring that to the table and help us bring our vision to life so and are there certain personal projects that you've done where that has stood out where you've you know you're not going to get paid on something but you're just taking the initiative and it is ultimately led to the formation of a relationship or yeah. paid work like are there certain examples that you can point to in your own career where those moments where you're like well I'm going to eat crow and do this thing for a minute and it's paid off yeah maybe not with um, other people's projects necessarily but like doing my own personal stills or doing um, those like mini docs like the made in Pittsburgh stuff that people watched those like and within like within the Pittsburgh community they were you know not a huge deal but people knew about them and that led to other work um, you know I had a couple couple video jobs come out of those free projects people saw them and were like, oh, I really like what you did with this. Like, can we do something similar for our brand or our, I did one for a neighborhood that they were like a neighborhood association that was just trying to get people to understand the, the neighborhood better. And they're like, we really like this made in Pittsburgh series. Can you do something very similar to tell our story? And, and that's how that um, kind of worked out. So yeah, doing personal work will eventually get you a, a paid gig got to keep at it though are there any projects you're working on now that people can learn about or not yet not yet trying to put some stuff together mostly i'm just you know we're helping other people bring larger projects to life right now as kind of a a skill building set you know learning since i've been diving much more into dp work and, and cam op work i've been 
throwing myself at any project that somebody can can bring to the table and, and helping people that maybe I've been working with a lot of photographers lately that um, kind of want to get into video or get into directing and just don't know how um, that side of things works. Helping them bring visions to life is, has been really helpful for me as like, okay, you know, if I'm working with a client, here's how yeah. I can approach that. It's building for me, it's building that skill set of like bringing a vision to life from like another director or a producer or an art director because it's just having that those communication skills in this in video seems to be very helpful being able to explain something or well we can't necessarily do that because of this but if we do it this way we can make that come to life and and learning that skill set has been really helpful and it's hard because it's like like i know a lot of people that want to do video but they don't understand like for, I'm fortunate to know, like, as an editor, what it takes to, like, tell a story. Sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, um, I think a lot of times people don't um, know the intricacies mm-hmm. and the challenges of making a video. Yeah. Even if it's something simple, like a YouTube video, it's like... Like I had somebody recently tell me, it's like, oh yeah, I'm thinking about just buying a bunch of stock video and like trying to use it as a way to, <laughs> to uh, build a video that I can go out and get clients. And I think the challenge with video in general is like you really do, and I think it's true of all craft. You have to spend a lot of time just dealing with the BS of it to really sure. figure out how to make it work. It's it's like cooking in a lot of ways. It's like I know what a good meal is like, but the intricacies of putting that together is a little different. <laughs> right, right. Learning the, you know, the skill of ingredients and order and timing and yeah, it, you know, same. And editing, yeah, I, I was a terrible editor for a long time. I was editing all my own pieces because I couldn't, I didn't know anybody that would take you know, the chance, take the, take the chance to do it for me or do it for free. Like I didn't have a budget when I was starting to make these little videos and, I had to learn how to edit and within doing that I became a better shooter because it just I was like oh I missed this oh I needed this for the story you know learning that process made made it better in the shooting and in the directing it was just like oh okay here's how a story goes together in an edit and without these things you're going to struggle to tell that story and I mean, are there certain examples of that, like that you can point to, like, like I guess, like the question in my mind is like, are there those, mo- are those, are there those moments in your career where you're like, you feel like you missed something crucial to a story? Like, what are those examples that you're like, I should have done this differently? Yeah. It doesn't have to be super specific, but I guess yeah, like what I- I'm asking is. We learn more from our mistakes and the ones than our accomplishments. Sure, I learn something new from each job I do or each project I create. Because it'll be there'll be something I've missed, or you know, some say like on a mini doc or you know, just a, a short story or short film. Like I just did a short film and uh, you know saw the final edit and was really happy with it. But we had like one piece of coverage that I wish we would have gotten. Uh, it was like a point of view thing. Um, and, you know, they faked it in the edit, but it just, to me, missed, we missed an opportunity to make that story stronger because we missed a single shot. 
and we just like we're doing it on the fly and we were had you know trying to shoot a short film in a single day and no budget and we just like move 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 and we we had it pretty much not storyboarded but we had like a shot list and I think it just the final edit came together slightly different from the shot list we had made up and so we had like missed one piece of coverage and if we would have had that to me it would have felt more polished but you know you're gonna find those things in every project you work on whether you're getting paid or not and hindsight is 2020 oh for sure like you're like oh if i'd have done that it would have been better next time (laughs) yeah so i mean and it's always going to be better the like i yeah you're always going to grow well, I mean, I, I, looking at my work, I don't think there's ever... I mean, I'm happy with my work. Let, let me clarify by saying that first. But I'm... There's always... I look at every project and I'm thinking to myself, well, I wish I would have done that differently. Yeah. I wish uh, that would have been a little different in terms of I approached things differently or mm-hmm. I would have talked to the client in a different manner and maybe we could have gotten more out of this, that, or the other thing. Right. I think that's just human nature, though. Oh, for sure. I mean, ever, you're never going to be 100% satisfied. You're an artist, right? Like, <laughs> nobody's ever satisfied with their work. Yeah. You might be proud of it, but you're, there's always something you're going to see within it that you're like, ah, I wish I would have done that better. For sure. And um, it's, I think that's just part of the grind and the nature of the, of the yeah. work is it's like you're always going to seek those places where you want to be improving right so i don't want to take too much of your time we've been talking oh, for right. about 40 minutes now <laughs> and i know that emails are piling up and stuff of that <laughs> nature but i guess the I wish <laughs> you, you, i i can under i can identify it's like hey we'd like you to uh, next tomorrow yes of yes course, tomorrow uh, yes. tomorrow i can do that i'm around it's going to be 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. All right, we'll do it. Sure. I've done a few of those jobs. I'm not, they're brutal. Yeah. Um, I guess the big things that I'm curious about is just like, see, uh, some smaller markets, there's there's work. Let's just, it's not L.A., it's not New York. Right. Budgets are generally smaller. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. We just like, got to pile up more of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and there is the ability to find those larger pieces of work that when they are coming, I guess the biggest thing that I'm curious about is being in a smaller market like Seattle, or maybe you're in Pittsburgh or Memphis or sure. Kansas City. I mean, you've you've done three smaller markets at this point. I mean, Savannah is also a smaller market as well. How have you managed in those circumstances? And what advice would you have for those who are new to a smaller market they want to be working they want to make great work with other like-minded individuals i mean i know we've already kind of discussed this but what advice would you give to those who are trying to find their footing in a in a smaller market yeah i mean just get out and and meet people go to go to meetups go to you know any event you can you can find there's bound to be a local ad club there's bound to be if you're a photographer you know go to the asmp events or um, you know, find any any event you can go to that um, other creatives or like-minded people are, are going to show up to, and just introduce yourself to as many people as you can. Or because you know, eventually you're going to be you're not going to be the new person anymore. You're going to be the person that's been showing up and consistently around. Um, being in front of people is what's going to 
make you make them remember you because you know out of sight out of mind would you say that that's probably been the majority of uh your marketing has just been yeah i mean that's mostly what i marketing i do is in-person marketing i you know i'll send an email blast if i have work to update people on um but generally you know trying to make meetings and, and informal meetings too not necessarily hey let me come show you my book or something it's just like hey let's grab a coffee catch up or you know trying to make make that circle of people you're working with friends as well as coworkers. Mm-hmm. you know and um, you know like here at our studio we try to throw an event once or twice a year just to bring our community together and, and hang out and have beers or whatever because it's not not a lot of people have that. We don't have that water cooler community that most corporate America has. You don't. You're not necessarily going to see the same people every day on every job. Um, so getting getting everyone together or going to those events is is going to be a great way to be in front of people and letting them know that hey, you exist and you would love to work with them <laughs> or just hang out. Yeah. Would you say that that's probably ninety percent of the game right now? Or I mean, for, always. I mean, it's always. Yeah. Because it's like, I I know for myself, I've I've put a lot of like stock into like trying to think about like, okay, how do I get in touch with this person? And you, you start, you start playing a game of stratego in your head and just strategy and just trying to figure out how to. Um, how to like just build and just like so you can get more work. I mean that's yeah. that's really the end goal is it's like how can I keep doing the thing that I like and get paid for it. Right. But it, it seems like and this is something that I've been thinking more about recently has just been like how do I just be a good person to others? Sure. And how do I connect with those people and provide value to them at the end of the day? Right, right. It's the best way to do it. You know, be uh, you know, work hard, be nice. <laughs> it's it, it sound it's sounds simple and it is simple but somehow um people make it a lot more complicated um yeah we're we're humans <laughs> so uh final thoughts and opinions like what like is there like is there other stuff that you really that we may or may not have covered that you really just have been thinking a lot about recently i mean mm. no but you know one of the one of the things I always tell new photographers or anybody new to an industry like ours is like, if you're thinking about doing this, like you haven't made the jump yet, you're in high school, you're in college, whatever. Um, you know, work on your art, but really work on learning how to run a business. If you want to be a freelancer, um, that's always been my biggest biggest hurdle in this industry is just learning how to run a business properly and that's been just a slow learning process so if you do that on the front end it's the boringest part of this job it sucks but if you're good at it it makes creating a lot easier i want to pull on this for a second what are some of those things that you've learned because like (laughs) accounting (laughs) accounting payroll and accounting tracking down invoicing uh you know, getting clients, figuring out how to keep clients, not necessarily work, you know, people you're meeting in a day-to-day face-to-face interaction, just like finding your clients and, and giving them whatever you're offering is like telling them what it is and, and being able to market. And yeah. Those, those business aspects that you don't generally get taught in school. 
And if you do, you kind of gloss over them because yeah. you're like, oh, that's this is boring. What do I need to know this for? But and you eventually learn that that's one of the most important things. Well, it's funny that you mention this because it's like, I mean, as a freelancer and someone who's still pretty new to it, I've found that I've been spending so much time focusing on how do I acquire a client? How mm-hmm. do I stay in touch with a client? And... I mean, I'm spending more time thinking about that because it's, I mean, I look at my work, I'm like, the work, it's like, I can't make good work until I have a client that wants me to make good work for them. Sure. So it's kind of like a chicken and an egg scenario where it's like, I wanted work, but I need a client. Mm-hmm. Or I can do a, a self project, but maybe bartend or drive for Uber at night, yeah. which is not something that anybody wants to do. So I, I guess like what I'm curious about is like, what has been that what what has been that um work been like to acquire said clients for you stay in touch with them and for those who have been doing it a minute or they're brand new to finding those clients what what should they be doing i mean are there tactics that they should i mean follow your interests i will you know i've contacted companies or individuals that i like the work that they're doing and just being like hey are you interested in services of any kind generally most people aren't but you'll find somebody eventually just keep working those angles of like well i I enjoy doing this or you know you might like doing photography or video or whatever and uh roll it into another passion as well that's why you see like the you know like chase got into it because he was also into extreme sports as well so he did a lot of uh, skiing and uh, snowboarding photography yeah. and climbing photography. And then he rolled that into doing photography for brands with it. And, you know, you just find those kinds of things that you, you like and go after that. And what's funny about that. And it's like, I, there's a, I, I think the majority of the people we follow, regardless of what it is they do, mm-hmm. they're typically scratching their own itch. Yeah. They're like, for instance, like, there's a photographer out of, uh, I want to say Aspen. His name is Tyler Stabelford. Mm-hmm. He's a Canon Explorer of Light. I didn't know this until I saw it on his Instagram. He shot for Rock and Ice back in the day. Oh, cool. It's, it's very similar to Chase's story in the yeah. sense of like, when I was a kid, reading magazines like Free Skier and Freeze, I didn't realize at the time that I was looking at his photos. <laughs> nice. And I, I told him this like one time at the collective, and I was like, dude, I didn't realize I was looking at your images as a 14-year-old kid sure. dreaming about skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to see how creatives who scratch their own inch and, and trying to match that up with clients, it really sets them up in a place where they can get the clients that they want. Yeah. It just takes time. I know. Just keep shooting. And... I mean, are there certain things that you've done in terms of like building those relationships, like outside of just emailing and DMing and stuff of that nature? I mean, what? No, a little me, bit. I mean, you know, just trying to stay in touch with people and meeting meeting up with them, either coming into the office or wherever they are, and just, yeah, having coffee, general general chat, not necessarily showing work. You know, don't always necessarily have to be about work. Um, but there's no silver bullet with this stuff and kind of whatever works for you was going to work for you yeah are you doing mailers or i know you said did, you're doing the newsletter I did for a while i did physical mailers and um it was those kind of things you never know 
Like you're just throwing them into the dark. They may work, they may not. And, and they're you're, expensive. You're, yeah, you're never gonna know if they're gonna work or not. They're great. If you've got uh, you know a new body of work to show, it's a great way to a physical mailer. Some people still love them. Like they'll save them. But uh, yeah, marketing is whatever works for you. Yeah, and I think it's hard because it's like trying to understand your body of work and who it's appropriate for. Yeah. Like that's something I, I mean, I, I think about in terms of like, I, like I look at my still work and I, I, I find myself thinking about like, okay, who's this actually appropriate for? Mm-hmm. Like who, who could I actually legitimately pitch and they might be interested if there is a need. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't think I can take my work and pitch it to everyone. No, no. not everyone's going to need your work necessarily, you know, but that's okay. Right. You'll find somebody eventually. Everybody does. <laughs> if not, go, go. there's always teaching. Yeah, there's always teaching. There's always just doing it for the sake of doing it. And, uh, you know, having a regular job, there's nothing wrong with that. Too. Yeah. And if you have the passion to take pictures and it's more of a, a passion, do it that way. You can, anymore, you can do both things. Yeah. And I, I think I would, I would also want to make the point of, like, if you really... In some cases, I would almost encourage people to just stay in just the hobbyist mode because then you don't have to deal with the rigors and the stress that yeah. comes with trying to be a filmmaker or a photographer full-time. Right. Because once you add that element in, it's... It's a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer... It's like, yeah, it's, I love doing it. Right. And I'm grateful that I get to do it every single day, but when you're dealing with moments where you're not working or you don't have anything, it really becomes a moment of like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't as much fun as it used to be. Right. And if you really want to like keep it fun, I would suggest not doing it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, where can people learn more about uh, what you're doing, the projects you're involved with? um, Got either my Instagram at uh, DTP photo or at my website, DylanPriest.com. Uh, that's about it. Cool. Any other final thoughts for us? Just keep shooting, you know? Sweet, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I, I do appreciate it. I mean, it's one of the first ones I've done in a while, so it's it's been fun to connect. And thank you so much for just, like, the connections that you've provided me and just helping me grow my career. It's, it's a slow build, as always, but I'm grateful for everyone who has helped me go through that process. So, yeah, yeah for man. Sure, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Cool. Thanks. So that's all we have for this episode of the Creative Hack Podcast. Big thanks to Dylan for coming on the show. It was great to connect with you. It was great to learn how you've been able to grow your career in a market like Seattle. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave a one-sentence review on iTunes. It would mean a ton to me. I'd love to get it out to more people and find ways that I can continue to grow this platform. It's not for me. It's for you. I really want to be a place where you can learn how to run a creative business. It is not easy. It's not like traditional business. And it's important that we learn from each other. And that is the goal of this show. If you want to follow more of the work that I'm involved with, you can find me all over the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Reach out to me. Let's have a conversation outside of just me being in your ears. Let's have a conversation and and continue to talk. Anyways, that's all the time I got. But as always, create, share, and sustain the life that you want. 